Why do you never pick a fight with a dinosaur? I don't know why. Because you'll get your ass kicked. <laughs> For those of you tuning in today, this is Sally Hellingston. And as you can tell, my co-host is the infamous joke teller, Sarah Bartlett. Hi, everyone. Yeah, we um, thought we'd start with that joke because this episode features two fantastic people, uh, one of them being Tad Wallace, who... Uh, has no filter. So we just wanted to throw a little something in there so you aren't afraid of some of the words that are coming out during this episode. Sarah, if you could use one word to describe today's episode, what would that word be? You know, I think that word for today would be karma, because a lot of what I got from this conversation is just about throwing good things into the world, supporting other companies, supporting your team, supporting your idea, and being you and putting yourself, your whole self warts and all Hawaiian shirts and all into the world and it'll come back exactly as it needs to and it'll be great what about you well that was so good um I energy and I know that that's lame because we're on the women's energy network podcast but the energy between the two of them is so beautiful and for lack of a better word but I just you can tell that they respect each other trust each other and really are doing good things with each other and are both invested, not only what their what their product and their, their company is, but also in each other. And I think that's awesome. My name is Cara Byrne and I'm the 2022 Global President of the Women's Energy Network, aka WEN. WEN is focused on developing a community of energy professionals across the world who are connected locally and networked globally. This podcast is yet another way for WEN to feature our talented members in the energy community. I hope you can learn something new and enjoy your time with us today. Today we have two guests from Universal Chemical Solutions. We've got Tad Wallace, the CEO, and Susan Starr, who is their technical advisor and also on the board of directors. So just to give a little background, I saw Tad present at a Digital Wildcatters event in Houston, and it was an energy tech pitch night. And he by far was, I thought, the best presenter of the evening. But then I was validated with my thoughts because he actually won the belt for that competition. So I'm excited to have him on here today because I really like his story about leadership. But then I also, um, what him and Susan are doing and how they work together is really appealing. But then also the company and the, the way that they've made changes and advances in this industry is really cool. So with that, Tad, give us a, a introduction to yourself, a little bit of a background of who you are, how you got into the industry and kind of like what you're doing now. Um, yeah, so thank you for having us here. Um, background's kind of actually interesting. Actually, prior service, so I did my little time in the military, got out, uh, got in the oil business, um, started out in the on the hydraulic fracturing and the facility services side of the big frack crews moving around with them. Mm, ended up going into gas frack, which was a fracturing company that was actually fracturing with propane and butane. And uh, ran U.S. operations and logistics for a while with that. And then um, went to work for another Canadian outfit selling base oils for drilling muds and, and whatnot. And at the time we developed a, uh, a business line with a, a big operator that everybody pretty much knows. And, uh, the company I was working with at the time gave me the opportunity to opportunity. Let me say, I built them out, said, Hey man, why don't you just take over the U S operation and, and, and build this out and, and go forward with this customer and, and, and off to your own. Um, that was, 
end of 2017, beginning of 2018. So I went on our own and within uh, just days of us getting ready to go to work, we lost the whole uh, deal. Everything kind of fell apart um, rapidly fast. And so we had to rebrand overnight. We lost all of our injection capital. You name everything a business could have was gone in, in a phone call. And with that, it was either the decision to uh, go to university, right? Use my GI Bill, go to university, start to figure out some ideas that I'd had through life or go back to work for someone else. And I was tired of working for someone else. So it was like, let's go to university, go work at mattress firm and a wine bar and <laughs> every other place I could find to work. And uh, then uh, slowly but surely we put together UCS, got a phone call from uh, I, ironic story. I don't think everyone's going to hear this story, but a guy I sometimes don't find too much interest in met a guy I didn't know in a hallway and <laughs> yeah, talked about, uh, yeah. talked about something. And next thing I know is I'm getting a phone call from a guy I don't know about pumping propane and butane. And that's kind of how me and Miss Susan and the gang kind of came together and started up with uh, a phone call from someone I had no clue about something I used to do. And it kind of revitalized ideas from the past. So that's kind of how we're here. And Susan, let's give you a little moment here to introduce yourself. I joined the oil industry in the late 70s. Uh, petroleum engineer by degree, went to work for mostly majors, Conoco, BP. Uh, it was Ohio first, then BP. Um, gradually ended up in Russia working for T&K as an, in a Russian oil company. Came back into BP and then retired after a career of 45 years, 40 years, something like that. And then um, in retirement, uh, retired a couple of times, actually, as one does when you get into the end of retirement. Um, but my husband and I, who's also a petroleum engineer, um, we um, we decided that we needed to use our our experience and our our um, our rich knowledge to give back to the to the uh, to the industry. So we we started our own consultancy for a while and it never really we didn't sell it very hard. And that's all right. But but uh, we got a phone call one morning, and this was in uh, 2019, from a guy that we didn't know, the same guy that Tad didn't know. And he, he said, I got your name from uh, a colleague, and um, we have this idea, and we'd really like you guys to come to work for us and help us operationalize this idea. And this idea was pumping NGLs, liquid NGLs, in the form of, uh, for a miscible injectant for EOR recovery, and particularly in shale. So we said, we thought about it a long time, research this guy, because you never know who's calling you. Did a bit of research on this guy. After a couple of weeks, we said, okay, we're going to go for this. This is a new venture. We're going to go. If we go, we're all in. And when Dave and I say, we're all in, we're all in. So we jumped in. And it wasn't but, um, I don't know, maybe a month, two months after that, this guy calls us. We're, we're heavily working. We're back in Denver. You know, we pretty much gave up Anchorage for that point in time, came back to Denver. We're working all in on this, um, really trying to get our arms around it. And this guy calls us and says, I got a guy who I've just signed on a guy <laughs> who knows how to pump this stuff. And we went, great. We call him. I think we talked to you first Yep. yep. Uh, over the phone once or twice. Yep. And then we said, okay, we're going to plan a trip to Texas and meet this guy because we got to see him eye to eye and figure out what's going on. So we meet, we meet at a burger bar in Beeville, Texas. If you can have a, f a feel for what that looks like, that's not Whataburger. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, this burger bar is in the, it's in Beeville is in the heart of the Eagleford. 
So it's um, Southwest Texas. And so we meet Tad and, you know, what you see with Tad is what you get. He, Tad is genuine and, <laughs> and he, Scary. he is what he is. <laughs> so we sit down and we start talking and, and we're, we're talking to him, get pretty satisfied that, yeah, he knows what he's doing, that he's, this is a good fit for us, that he'll help us figure out how to pump this stuff. Then he says, you know, you guys, I got an idea. And he starts talking about single shot, which is the trademark for for UCS for this well stimulation treatment. And we start going through it and we're start we we're both talking about it and we're throwing together all these ideas and and after a couple hours it's pretty much where single shot was designed. And we from that point Dave and I were all into not just one new venture, but two new ventures. <laughs> um, well, at that point, I, I'll turn it back over to Tad, and he can kind of tell you how he started the company. Yeah, because that's what your that was part of your story. In the that's pitch, exactly was, right. Yep. Yeah. So, lots of lots of company. Uh, Eighteen, everything comes apart. I just stayed with it, going to school. We hooked up. It was a, it was a uniqueness. And then once we did this, so I'd already had this company going. I kept the the shell of the company right. No revenue. Lots of things going, always hustling, working, trying to get something going, right? So when we came to this idea, we said, hey, look, you know, we have this, because I'm partnered with them in the other venture. Um, we have that that we're working on, but this has its own separate uniqueness. And and to do this, we need to be able to build a company and we got to go do this. But you can't just go pump propane and butane down a hole in liquid form. Certain assets are required. Certain storage vessels are required. It's not as easy as grabbing the propane tanks from Walmart. And going and shoving the shit in the ground. And um, because I had the background at gas frack, gas frack went under 2000, I want to say 16. I left a few years before and um, the writing was on the wall. I knew that Step had acquired the assets. So essentially when we came up with the idea, the idea was to go raise the money, go get the equipment ourselves, and actually, hey, we're going to go. Move. The idea was to buy the equipment from Step and go build a company on our own. We, I had a couple guys that were willing to give us the money for the assets to go do it. Instead, they actually said, well, well, what do you want to do with this equipment? And that kind of rabbit holed us into a very unique position to where as we work on the tech and develop the tech, Step is the actual operator that you would see to perform the technology. They're the horsepower, they're the equipment. So it's a unique business in the sense that, once again, we don't have nothing to truly sell you except for engineering service if you wanted to, but if you buy the operation, it kind of comes with it, you know? We're not backed in assets like on wheels and everything. We're backed in, you know, intellectual property. And I think, especially for the industry we're at right now, everybody's rolling out all these new ideas. You're seeing all these apps. I can list you 400 different guys building some sort of software for oil and gas. Kind of the uniqueness of what we're doing, I think that I've yet to see other firms or anyone coming out with this is a tangible operation that can be done, stimulated efficiently and effectively and safely economically. And I think that that is what kind of separates not just Universal Chemical, but also our joint venture we're in at Oil Technology Group, um, is it's the downhole premise, right? And that's essentially where single shot is, is where we're using propane and butane to go into wells. Uh, and we focused on horizontal shell is where our focus really was at. Because as you saw, the, there's a journal of petroleum technology a paper just out recently. 83% of all horizontal shell wells in the Eagleford are under 50 barrels a day production. Yet they kick off four, five, eight hundred thousand barrel a day production. There's something massively wrong. And isn't most of the decline in like two years or something? Oh, yes. Yes. First, first 18 months. 18 months. 18 yeah. months. And so with that, 
you know, we know 96% of the reserve is still in the ground, right? On average, that's what we're seeing in these shells before they hit terminal decline. The big question that I had been posing for years, and this is one of the first questions that me and Miss Susan and the gang started working around is I posed about going into shell wells was, guys, it's the water that left over from the frack that's doing more damage than all these other things we could list out. And the more that we started getting into it and the gang started researching and diving into it, and you start talking to operators, you know, you frack rough numbers. We'll just use easy numbers. You frack a well with a thousand gallons of water. You're only going to bring back 10. That's not much. 10 to a hundred, well, about a hundred barrels of water, about 10%, 20%. That's a question. Just for as the flowback or is that even like the produce water that's, as you go through? That's all in. Wow, that's way lower than I thought it was going to be. With an, the enhanced oil recovery ideas that we're working with, we could double that. So we're, we're, we could take it from 5% recovered to 10% recovered, and we still have another, you know, the industry still has another amazing amount of, of volume there to get. So I think shale uh, and ch the challenges of recovery in shale are going to go on for decades and decades, and that's what the industry does best. Get it down to $40 a barrel and see what happens. Every time, every time. But I do. I have a story to tell if I can. Of course. We like stories, especially as you're pointing at Todd. That's where I'm like, oh shit, boys, it's about to go wrong. So when, when we were going through this process and we were in that phase of Tad saying he's sniffing around looking for equipment, he says, look, why don't I buy the equipment and I will rebuild UCS into providing this service. We got to have this service. We, I got to get the equipment. I got to go get the IP because gas frack and now step own the the intellectual property on pumping this stuff. So he calls me. He calls us one day and he says, "Hey, I I, I got a hunting trip coming up." He says, "I'm I'm going to go talk to him about buying this equipment, and see if he'll give me the money to buy this equipment, see what he wants for it, you know." And and this is what Tad has been doing that has just been amazing. Is that he is so well connected in the Eagle Ford network of, of everybody, whether it's, it doesn't matter if it's an operations manager in a field, it doesn't, level. Yeah. it doesn't matter what level and the service companies as well. He's got access to that level of people that he can go and talk to them about this stuff. And so actually this, this individual was quite interested I uh, just wanted a little bit too much of Tad's company to to come in, and Tad wasn't willing to give that much away yet. Well, it goes back which to was the whole, great. you don't want to work for somebody else anymore. That's right. Yeah. You know, one of the uniquenesses is everybody thinks the best way to build a business right now is run a JV and get capital. You, 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 you're signing a deal with the devil, right? Like, you don't have control. I actually... One of the gentlemen that actually was there that evening, or the digital wildcatters night, um, had a discussion, you know, and he was telling about how he had done business with someone that had took investment from private equity. And because that company then invested in him, the private equity company came in and started to make moves. So one of the uniquenesses that both of our businesses has been that we've been able to grow bootstrap the whole way um, up until the recent to where we actually had something that was of, of, of good tangible value. And um, and at that point, it was no longer what I would say capital for growth. It was cap. It was just gas in the tank. The, the train was rolling. It's already met the bridge of the hill. Just gas in the tank. And I that's a I do think there's a problem in in oil and gas startups and businesses where we always think, hey, you got to have 25 million to run. You you can run a long ways without a lot if you're willing to go. 
if you're willing to live in a trailer. Yeah. And that's what, that's what you were willing to do. And you committed to that. (laughs) I did that. I think I slept on, I'm probably the only guy out with the title of mine that can say I slept on the couches of the COO's ranch house. I I was the farm guy, uh, worked at mattress firm, worked at a wine, (laughs) wine, uh, bar for a while. Um, I got fired from a pest control company, all in building. <laughs> and this is why we're actually doing business. <laughs> Some of these little things. Yeah. Well, that so. kind of ties into one of my questions that you mentioned, like your ability to speak to anybody at any level in the company. I think that's impressive. It's not a skill that everybody has. People get intimidated. They get nervous, whatever it might be. What do you think it is that does that for you? Is it your various experiences? Is it your you're having to live in a trailer that humbled you? I was mentored through this process by working for Dr. Mesher. I, I watched side by side how he conducted business, how he he did things. And uh, one thing I can say is I've never walked into a meeting with a guy, especially with a, a big, a, this is a super major we're in with in San Antonio, and um, walks in in shorts and a Hawaiian t-shirt and flip-flops to talk about a couple million dollar operation, right? Like this is, he just didn't, he just taught me, like we're all the same. And I think with that field side and then being mentored, you have the ability to be like, okay, I can play this white collar. We can all do the niceties. But what I found out that nothing business, I've never got business done being someone I wasn't. No one ever bought nothing from me when I wasn't myself. So I just started learning really how we built UCS. So I was just me. My language has been the same, personality the same. It's So I think that's probably it. When we first started to sit and talk to investors, Tad would, Tab was the one that actually kind of lined everything up. But we talked to all different kinds of investors. But I, I remember one where we went in. Shoot, I, I think it was in I think it was in San Antonio. I don't remember. <laughs> but we all walked in there. And of course, most of us are in suits and jackets, and so are they. And 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 Tad was Tad. You know, he has cowboy boots on, his jeans, his, his a nice shirt, a mm-hmm. ball cap. But if Tad went in with in anything else, he wouldn't have been Tad. And and he came across so genuine. Uh, he didn't need the suit, the tie, the the. Here's how I'm gonna project myself. I'm I'm just me, and that has has gone in his favor from all the discussions I've ever sat in with him. Initially, when we first met with um, Step, some senior people in Step, he did wear a coat and a tie. He was so uncomfortable. It was it was obvious, and he, I think at that point you vowed never. I'm not doing this again. Never do that, and it's worked for you. It has worked very very well for him to just come across very very genuine. I, I think it's easier to be yourself than somebody else, right? But I think in this industry, it's so easy to get so wrapped up in in the next title, the next move, the next everything else that you you know. And I think that especially when you start to go get capital from someone to so, say, hey, look, believe in me and my team and everyone else. And what I learned in the investment and in going and raising capital is you can have the amazing Susans and Daves and the Masons and everybody else. But when they invest in your company, they're investing in the, the, the individual that's literally looking at them. And I think that's a big thing that when these guys want to go do a startup, get ready for the, the hard part, which is being, being yourself in front of the money because they'll sniff it out. Did you find that anybody struggled to give you a chance at first with with just an outward perception and with your Hawaiian short shirt and your flip flops? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would say that 
so I'm also tattooed up, hands, very visible tattoos and stuff, right? Um, I can honestly say I don't think that's ever been the thing. You have to be willing to hear the word no, but the word no is not shutting you down. The word no, the word no comes from so many various places that when you hear no, you can't take it as this is over. Did we maybe not get a chance based on their capital? I can't control their capital. I've actually, I've watched Tad grow confidently into this role since we met at that burger bar in Beeville, right? Um, and I think what Tad has been, um, it's been amazing to do it within his, his own company. You know, he had it down it with a shell with just really Tad in the company by the time we met him. And what he did was bring an amazing group of people together that had all the right skills um, to work for him. I call it work for him. We are a team. Yeah, we, a team. we are we are developing this idea and taking it into the industry together as a team. And I and he pulled us all one together for the first time at uh, the ranch yeah. in. Um, that was that was 2020, 2020. Right, and and this is our this is where we first met our um, chief operating officer. Yeah, that's right. Who whose background is chemical chemicals chemistry, and and that's a big part of this whole concept is getting the chemistry right with the LPG. So that's the first time we had met him, and uh, it was it was amazing when we Dave and I sat back and we watched and we said, "Holy cow! How can this guy bring this talent?" together because Tad, as confident as he is in the idea, he brought everybody together to be able to actually understand it, bring it forward, write the patent, the whole, everything around it to, to deliver it. skin in the game. So well, well, and we all had the right skill set to do it, but he picked that skill set, you know, and this is what a good leader does. He knows how to build the, the strong team of competency around it. And frankly, the personalities of the people who can get together to do it. And that has been very, very, I mean, <laughs> that's what you did. Yeah. And, and to do that, so now picture that and taking your team in, talking to an investor. The investor can look at him and make a snap judgment. But at the end of the day, the investor looks at the team and says, holy cow, how did he get this team together? And he's been asked no, that No, I've question. literally been asked multiple times. What's <laughs> your answer? Um, literally, like when I tell people, I said, just, it's been a blessing. Like the, I, there's really no way to describe how you can line things up. Right. Like, oh, how do I say this? Like, um, life, right? Like I never, even the guy that I may not like the most that told this other guy that can link to this all up. Um, I respect the dude. I sit in a room with him all the time. Have, uh, he called me up. I'm going to answer. Um, I keep pretty good relationships. So I would say that was the lead to it. And I think the rest of it was Dave and Susan even brought people to us. Um, just people in my past that I knew had talents that I wasn't good at. Like I, I'll negotiate with you. Eh. But if I think we're fair, I'm okay. But you go on to negotiate with universal chemical solutions. You have to negotiate with Kevin Lang and, and, and that's a different beast. So having the people around me that are like, Hey, I'm not the best in drawing contracts. So how about I let you and my CFO, the guys that are good at the legal paperwork that know this stuff, I'm going to let you guys do what you do best. And I'm going to listen to you all work this out for us. And we ended up beyond blessed. I mean, it's hard and hard not to state that. 
Well, and so one of the things you guys can't see is that when Susan compliments Tad, uh, I saw this when I first met them. He gets very fidgety and is like, <laughs> he's like over it. here. He's like, why is she talking about me? He's, so he has a hard time, I think, like hearing it. the code. Exactly, exactly. Um, and she's been doing a great job of of setting you up and talking about how amazing you are. But Tad, I want to talk about you your respect for Susan, because that was one of the most beautiful things when I met you guys. It's like, you were just raving about her, raving, raving, raving. Yeah. And she walks out and you were just like, it's like, not that you're in awe of her, but you, you talk about how she's your RBG and then she's your mentor. And it's very few men that have women as mentors. Well, I think that's a lie. Really? I would say that's probably not the truth. You just may not hear it out loud. Okay. I mean, they got a mom. Right. Okay, touche. So, so, so I, mean, I, I, I think that we, you know, but we also live in a world where people don't actually talk about having mentors. This generation we live is they're fucking smarter than everyone else. I don't know how many guys that know more than everyone else. So the reality is, is though, if you're going to build a business, you need to build a business with people that you want to be like. Susan, someone I want to be like. If you, if you really scale it out, it's really just finding people that you want to be like. So when you look at someone you want to be like, Oh shit, Susan's kind of somebody I want to be like. Dave, her husband, is somebody I want to be like. So I think with all of it, it's respecting people enough to be like, yo, I want to be like them. If you don't have that, how do you build not really having a drive? Well, I don't even know if it's like, is it, is it humbleness or just being honest? I'm mentored every day by everybody at UCS. Preach. Simple. Agree. If I don't learn something from every single one of these folks, weekly I, i'm doing my job wrong right like i'm mike murphy our cfo love him he's like a brother to me literally was in his wedding he's like a brother to me but dear god if there's not days that me and him don't want to choke each other <laughs> but he's there for a reason i'm the i don't see risk i i really don't i have a hard time seeing i don't see risk very often he sees risk more often than i do so balancing yourself out right is there so in a way he's a mentor to me right i think the reality is though susan look at her career how do you not say this is somebody like hey i want to have a, you had a fair to say you had a damn good career i've had a great career <laughs> right <laughs> damn so, good great same yeah. thing so if i'm trying to have a damn good career in my life <laughs> right like you want to align yourself you are who you are with right you, you, who you run with i mean what your mom and dad told you when you're a kid you are who your friends are right it does matter and so i think that is Saying that about Miss Susan, why? Why? I mean, shit. I can. You probably do. You want to go through your background again, and then I can say that's why. Like, <laughs> like that, that may help me out the best. But yeah, having having Miss Susan as a, as a engineering wise, you've taught me so much. I mean, shit. I could go through it all. Well, and so we talked. We heard about like kind of how your your career path and the things that you went through. So with you, what are some of the biggest things that have happened in your career that have really defined how you are a teammate or a leader in the industry? For me, as a individually, I, I am not um, a loner. You know, I like working with people. I like building strong teams. That was one thing I was I've been noted for in my own career is bringing together the right people and building a strong team, and then giving them the, the space and the and the foundation to do what they need to do. In other words, I'm successful because the team is successful, not because I'm successful. Right. So, um, I mean, that's always been my philosophy. And then, of course, when you're in leadership. In big companies, they they continue to teach you that and try to get and try to grow that in in you. They don't actually act that way, 
the more senior you get up into an organization, they don't always act that way. And a lot of it is because companies actually make leaders compete with each other. And once you start competing with each other, then then your colleague is no longer on your team. And I think that's what destroys teams um, and is what is so great with Tad is uh, he recognizes where, where he doesn't have knowledge. He, he doesn't know what's going on. And so he brings people together to do that. That's what good leaders do. When you get up to a certain level of a team, though, and, and companies start to pit that business leader to, with that business leader, and all of a sudden you're competing with each other, you're not helping each other anymore. You're not helping each other grow the business anymore. And that's where I got up to within this last company I was working with and said, I'm not going any further. I just, I'm not going to play that game. And so I actually got out of business delivery and went into more of a corporate level job where I I was able to exploit, again, more of my talent, uh, but not in the actual business delivery of it. What I see with a lot of men is in higher leadership roles is that they are threatened by people who are really strong in their teams. And Tad is not threatened by anybody in his team. You can't be a good leader if you are. That's, that's my own thought process around this. So I, one of the reasons my husband and I actually ended up going into Russia was because um, we, were so, we were quite frustrated working in the U.S. businesses and coming up against this control, the lack of confidence, actually, because I do think all of that is, is, a, is a lack of confidence in, in, in leaders. But when we went into the Russia business, you're there as an expat, you're there for a reason, you're there to give the expertise that you bring. And they expect that from you in any expat position like that. And they did things, they can make decisions, and they could just go do them. They didn't have to get 10,000 permits to be able to try to do it. They didn't have to get five different partners together and to convince them to go do it. They just could go do it. And they needed a fundamental, just foundational experience to, to grow their own production over there. And so we, we, it was like going and being rejuvenated on just your technical basis. So, so we really had a lot of fun doing that. I loved your commentary on the competitiveness that kind of happens the higher you get up at an organization. And, and I, it just got me thinking there's, I don't know if it's like a chicken or egg thing, you know, sometimes the people who have that most driven as part of their being are the ones that end up in those positions. So is it that they bring that competitive competitiveness and that drive with them? Or is it that something about what happens in those companies at that level that also pokes at that competitiveness? You know, it makes me wonder, like, which one of those things plays out? And if we really wanted to shift that dynamic is it about changing how the company operates or is it about bringing up the people who don't bring that competitive, straight competitive nature or as much of that competitive nature with them? I think initially people have drive, right? Really, they're driven to succeed. I, I think you have to have that to be able to, 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 to even move forward. Otherwise, it's just kind of, I'm relaxed. I'm, I'll, I might get it done. I might not get it done. <laughs> And so I think that that drive is definitely there. At some point, it transitions into competition. And I think it is corporations that do define that. It's the expectations from above and the reward structure that they put in place that rewards that win of one over the other once you get up to a certain level. It is there. I don't know if it's just 
if it's opposite, I don't think it has to be opposite. I think it can go hand in hand where you maintain that drive and that competitive edge, but it, it has to be done within the team that you're working in. And once you get, I mean, everybody's a member of a team. It doesn't matter. You know, everybody who works for the CEO collectively, you're a member of a team that's, that's trying to deliver the business for that CEO. you got to work together as a team. If, if there's com competition at that level, then someone will always be trying to outdo the other person. And by its nature, you're dragging people down. I, I'm a believer of Covey. Oh, yeah, Stephen Covey. For Stephen sure. Covey. I'm a believer of, of that. You know, I, I just love everything he says about teams and growing teams and the team development. And I think the reward structures have to go along with that. And, and it's very difficult in corporate America at a certain level to, to do something different. But it doesn't mean that you can't, you can't still survive in that. I mean, I, I had one job where, where there were, there were three of us reporting into a business unit leader and we all had the same, same level of responsibilities and we worked great as a team, but that business unit leader pitted us against each other. We actually ignored it. And there was one of us who could get to that, that business unit leader. And so we funneled all our things through him. So we actually really tried to leverage that as long as we were working as a team collectively, um, we were able to leverage that one relationship into the business unit leader and say, okay, you get to tell him what, what we want to do every time because he'll listen to you. He's For whatever reason, he'll listen to you. And so we were able to do it and we did it okay, but it wasn't the greatest feeling all the time. But we, we were able to operate as a team collectively. So it sounds like you bring these people with this drive and this you know, just desire to succeed and get things done. And can you foster then when you get to those levels, it's us against the world or us against the other company or us against the problem and not us against each other. That's right. Within the company, the whole company's one team. And it sounds like that's what you've tried, you've done. Well, everyone at UCS has got a, a piece of it. So no one on our team doesn't have a piece of the equity, right? everyone's is a little bit different, but there's varying reasons why you could do that. But I think what Ms. Susan is saying is huge. You got to have a reward system that makes people want to do it. I though can tell you that it's not all financial, right? Like if you got to operate like in our operation, sometimes your Ms. Susan is going to like this joke, but your, your bonus for the month, month or for the, for the year, maybe a hundred grand candy bar. Right. And worst part, I, I think I actually ate one of the ones in hers. So like, I think I shortchanged hers. Right. Um, he did. It was actually quite funny. He gave it to me. We all opened it. Mine was short and I, and I looked at it and I held it up and Ted said, Oh, I got hungry on the way here. And I said, Ted, that's okay. You know, I'm a woman. I'm used to being paid less. And it's set, right? It's set. There's something else Ms. Susan said that was really, really, like, to me, important. I think that we could take a second on is not only did she build her teams, but she had to build the outside teams of the other companies around it to support her team. And what we did at UCS is, yeah, we have a badass team of good engineers and good people. But then we went out and built a really good group of supporting companies, Step Energy, Fesco, all these people that come to make the idea, the realization of what it has to be. Because to pull off what we're pulling off, it can't just be us. So I do think that that's a uniqueness. Is we built an amazing team around us. All the companies are supporting the idea that we all uh, uh, put together and flushed out, they're able to go support. So 
I think that's one of the things we're also seeing is a lot of these companies right now don't have, they want to be everything. The way I looked at universal chemicals, why when one step proposed the idea, I would much rather have step go use the equipment and their big name to go push this idea. Who's going to let a little bit of universal chemical with some pumps and an idea do it. It's a lot easier to not reinvent the wheel. Why go do these things when there's already perfectionists out there at this? Let's just go get those people that are perfect at what they do and tie them in. Then I don't got to do as much. Maybe that's a lazy logic, but it was mine. <laughs> no, I really like it because I, I like that you're bringing this point across that you can't just have the team inside. You have to have the team outside. You have to have the support of a network, et cetera, which you've been building and which I will shamelessly plug. Like this is what Women's Energy Network does is it tries to connect you to the people that can help personally, professionally, whatever it might be, and to really make sure that you cultivate those relationships because mm -hmm. you never know when you might need them, not to sound horrible and saying needing them, oh. but, or when you might need their support. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, the question I want both of you to answer, what are the top three things that you think are needed for a successful team? I would say at least one, I'll throw one on the table, which is to, to build a good team. You have to have a good idea. If there's nothing to rally around, it's hard to, to keep the, t the, the team together. Probably the hardest thing I think I've done in the last two years is not the get the capital and everything. It's keeping the team unity, cohesiveness. That's probably for me, you have to have an idea to get a team to go around. Well, and, and the team that Tad's pulled together is quite diverse, extremely diverse. He does address conflict. He addresses it head on and he doesn't let anything fester. But that was a learning uh, he came up a learning curve on that one. Any issues now, he just goes in there and he gets gets everybody to get it out on the table, which is amazing uh, to keep that team cohesion and ability to work together. So to answer your question, I think leadership is one. You have to have a, a very strong leader who knows how to build a strong team. And Tad mentioned objective. You have to have a good objective. You got to have what are we trying to do here? What what's our purpose? And for me, the third one is is you got to have competent people. And that doesn't mean everybody's alike. It doesn't mean they 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 have this, the same skills because you don't you don't want them to have the same skills. We have an eclectic group. We if have, you put us in the room, we're all different. <laughs> which brings up the whole issue of diversity. You know, it's it is that diverse group that we have, which allows us. When we get into brainstorming mode to try to solve a problem, we come up with a solution. And there's no problem we can't solve. That's how we've approached every every bit of this. And we've had some pretty unsurmountable, yeah. what, what other people would say is a pretty unsurmountable problem. So that that that's kind of it for me. I mean, there's a ton of things that you could add on to that. So I would probably just follow up with, I don't, I for me, the leadership thing is I, I, I'll i be the first one to say at UCS, I don't feel like a leader. I feel like I'm just we're all on the same team. Just somebody had to be stupid enough to go, <laughs> you know, do the day-to-day -day business, right? Happened to be me. But I think it's honestly the idea, what Susan said, and I'll try not to jump on, I'll say something she didn't say, but one is you do have to have, in, in our world, I would say we have an eclectic group of people because we're all so different. When you set us in the table, at UCS, it's a fun table to be in because you don't know what's coming next in conversation. You don't know. And then I think finally, I think it's honestly just you have to have people that will be able to be dedicated, right? Because once you dove, once we decided we're in, it, it, there's this weird point in building a business, right, where you commit 
and there's no reward for a long time. So holding the attention. Except a candy bar. Yeah, yeah, the 100 <laughs> gram candy bar, right? Part yeah. of a candy bar. You know, the hard thing is, you know, you can build a business and you can get a contract, but that doesn't mean you made money. And there's a lot of guys that are like, oh, I just need to race to VC and get money because once I get VC money, then I, I know I'm going to be good. But you know, that money comes with a price tag, right? Keeping a group together like we did, bootstrapping, where, man, it's you're looking at everything every day like, man, the reward isn't today. You have to have people that are dedicated to see it through to the reward because once the reward comes, it's just so much more. To me, it's so much fun. Now, the uniqueness of our company is also we're built in COVID. We never got to really enjoy some really big home runs at most. And I won't even say home runs. These were like like just, just demolish the other team type home runs and wins. And so we never really had that. So in COVID, I think we've had one dinner together as a whole team. I think other than that, we've been parsing them out. All this That's how it works. So it's been a unique build also keeping people's attention <laughs> through COVID. So I think you got to get dedicated people. So Sally brought me into this conversation and she was like, just show up. It'll be great. I promise. You know, it wasn't like some other questions or some other things. She's like, I heard him talk. He's going to be great. It'll be fine. Just show up and engage. And I was like, okay, you know, I was ready for anything today. And I think as I sat down, I was like, man, so what we've talked about is a lot of passion around an idea. And how do I take that and run with it? And Susan, you retired a few times, which I had a mentor call it. She's like, I'm not, it's not retiring. It's now called working on my own terms. That's right. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of truth. I stopped working on that company's terms and now I'm working on my own terms. Um, but, you know, taking, taking that idea and really running with it and building it. And then we also talked about this idea of I'm going to throw success out into the whole world, into my partners, into my team, into my, you know, coworkers into my competition, into these people who'd made these connections, you know, even though I don't have, you know, always like the guy, the friend of the guy and whatever, like I I'm throwing the success and these like good vibes into the world. And I have faith that I'm going to do great things and that's going to come back at me. And the last thing we talked about is some really cool leadership skills. So I was just sitting here kind of musing on this discussion and how it's kind of evolved. And so cool. what I heard is Sally was right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. Anyways, continue on. No, I mean, I mean, that's I was I just was amusing like this whole um this whole discussion. So I think it's really cool. You know, Tad, I've seen even just like just meeting you in this this conversation, like this magnetic personality, and I can see how people can rally behind an idea that you have. Um, and part of why they do that is because you are what you see. You know, they, I can trust that if I go into work with this man, he's not going to go behind the door talking to somebody else, right? And Susan, I have like a million percent faith that if anything somebody throws your way, you're going to figure it out. And <laughs> you have like this a calmness and like, a, yeah. yeah, I wrote down she radiates a like calm leadership. Yeah. <laughs> and they asked why I said mentor. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good balance. Yeah. I mean, and it really kind of also goes into like what we actually do is what our tech does, right? Essentially, we got a really good team, a really good people, a bit built around a really amazing idea we kind of named it single shot right like we only need one day one single shot at that time but then you know i sit back and i i i take away and you also only got one single run at this thing all right you only got one single run of life you get two picks how you want to do it right you're going to enjoy this fucking ride 
or do you want to bitch and moan the whole fucking way? I just think so, you know, being prior service, what I did in the military was I saw some crazy stuff. And um, so I think I learned very early in life what's bad and what could be bad and how bad it could be. So we're in pretty good shape as long as we're breathing here. So I think that's probably a lot of it for me anyways. You know, I think the other thing is that we believe that we are bringing a step change into the industry, into the especially the shale industry initially, but it's going to go further. And there's a lot of room for a lot of growth, not just for us, but for the industry, which means, you know, we know that STEP has even already had a, a thought process that says we can only take this so far. So then who do we engage? Who's, who are the big guys that we engage to take it, not just this step further, but global? And uh, and we believe that that this is the case with both our new venture ideas, that if it if it goes, there is so much room for success in the industry around this. And we're excited about that. That's what energizes us to get up every day and do this. You know, it, it, what, what keeps people around. So keeping everybody on the team working, right? Dave, Susan, they have their little their role and everybody's got their roles. But now that we're able to start seeing tangible things happening. Right. That I think has changed a lot too for the company. When you walk into a room of a big operator and you sit down and say, I kind of know your stuff and you can talk to them on knowing their wells, if not better, not better, but you can explain to them and work with them. And you're like, you guys are right. When you go into an operator's office, especially if you're a salesperson introducing a whole new idea and you sit down and talk and they say, you know, we've been thinking for a while, you're right. That there's a reward in that statement that capital is not going to take away. Cause I really do believe everybody on our team. And I think you saw this the other night with some other people, right? Do they really believe? Do they do, do, do the, if, if you're coming into my office about to sell me a million dollar new operation, you better fucking believe it. I need to see that you physically believe what you're here telling me. Right. I think that's what makes us unique too, is that we all truly believe where we're going is the right direction. I mean, our operation, just for your background, is there's no water on location, right? So just that on an environmental impact, Colorado, there's a big, huge step change in that. We want to use the wells that are already been fracked and produced. I, why, why do we need to drill another one? We know the wells are there. We know the oil's there. It's becoming so much harder to drill in the Front Range in Colorado, right? So yes. if instead of having to poke a new hole or have a new location, you could do something different, man, all sorts of 90% plus of the reserve is still in the ground. And that's literally the step change that we're thinking here, right? Like we have enough wells out there. We know the oil's there, but they're in terminal decline. And honestly, this is where I'm kind of got in trouble a couple of times. We're saying like, I think horizontal shell was a Ponzi scheme. You know, we drilled these wells, they IP'd real high, but we went and told everybody, oh, they're making 800,000 barrels a day, but we never told them three months later they're down to like 200, right? But we went and kept drilling, right? So you got to keep drilling to keep that that float up. I, I always laugh like it's kind of like the Herbalife person that won't leave you alone, right? <laughs> like I'm not <laughs> buying your vitamins, right? You know? And um, so with that, I mean, there's so many wells out there. And now what we're actually going into is, with shale, but we're also starting to get deeper into conventionals, tight, tight, um, uh, conventional wells and working them over with the same type of tech. Right. And, um, 
So as we keep going through this, we're stepping into new things, but the environmental side of our technology is, is a big push for us. Using a well that's already been fracked, you don't got to get all the horsepower. You don't need everything. You just got to fix the damage. And I think that's a lot of what we're attacking is the damage created during the frack. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And we really like to close our episodes with just one final oomph, one final tidbit thought, anything you think our listeners should really take away generally. For me, it's like you only got one run. You got one life. It's as simple as that. Mic drop. It's as simple as that. You, <laughs> you go be what you want to be, do what you want to do, screw your life up if you want to, and or win as much as you can if you want to. You only got one run. I think for me, it's uh, measure your success by the uh, success of the people you influence. Thank you for listening. We hope you join us next time. Until then, be safe and power on.